to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. And he had a, an extended family living with him in his home life, um, in his home situation. And they must have all known. And it was really shocking for me to find out that he was a lot older than he said he was and that the people that he was in the house with were one of them was his wife. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. As a 12-year-old, Ruth loved to chat with her friends online, but it wasn't long before a predator found and groomed her. This very quickly became a real-life, sexually abusive relationship between a child and a full-grown adult pedophile. We have spoken to a few child abuse victims on this podcast, but Ruth's memory of this time is so clear that we get a real insight into what 12-year-old her was thinking and experiencing. I think it's so important for parents to hear this story to understand how it happens. Content warning. This episode focuses very heavily on child sexual abuse and drug abuse. Ruth, welcome to The Deep. Thank you. Ah, where do we begin? I want to go back to where it began when you were a tween, like just before your teen years, 12 years old. You met somebody online. Can you tell me a bit about this person? Yes. So I met this person uh, on MSN. So that was a messaging thing that we all used to use back in the day. And it started with messaging with my peers and my extended peers. So these people that I knew didn't go to the same school as me. They went to another school um, and one of their family members, an older man, started messaging me having access through them. How old? He told me that he was 26 and we were messaging quite a bit and flirting and things were becoming more sexual. 26, what does a 12-year-old think? Or does a 12-year-old just go get caught in the moment and go, that's so cool, you know, somebody older is showing me attention, um, this is really exciting? Because, like, you know, we think what would a 12, you know, as a parent, you're like, I know what a fucking 26-year-old wants with a 12-year-old. What is going through your head? Yeah, it was that at the time, that it was super cool and that I was in a position at that age so vulnerable and naive that I was really seeking out a friend. I had trouble at home where I had a, a bad relationship with my mother and I was really seeking some comfort and attention from somebody that wasn't my parents. 
And that's where I found myself in a perfect situation for him to come in and groom me. So did you feel like what you weren't getting at home, this older person with wisdom, you know, that could take care of you in ways that you weren't being taken care of? Yes, and I was so looking forward to being a woman on my own and having my independence that I was drawn to a bad boy and doing something wrong, like talking in a sexual way with an older guy. It was really appealing and exciting to me as much as it was scary and nerve-wracking. So being sexual kind of from the get-go or flirty, how did it evolve? Was it just messages were there images shared like who was I'm assuming him was leading the relationship yeah that's the natural evolving nature of our conversations was first of all we were talking about things and then he would request photos from me in which I would oblige and they would go from being photos of me in clothes and then less clothes and then it would be nude photos and sexually explicit photos of me doing things so it just was the pressure to keep providing for him in order to keep that conversation going that was a key thing about our conversations was more 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 so he was kind of baiting you if you want to hang out with me I need more from you I want to see you do this take off this take a photo of this, Yes. put it on the internet. Yes, and when it got to more and more and more, it went to he would be sharing those photos to my peers, my extended peers, who knows who else, his own friends, and that was kind of the next step was him sharing it and then he eventually would put those photos up on a website that he had and I wasn't the only young girl who had their photos put on that website but um, that was distributed around to my extended peer group and and people at school knew about it. Tell me something then, the peer group, what is the association between the man and the peer group? Family, related cousins and... His connect is the cousin, younger cousin and you're telling me a younger cousin that's in your peer group, 12-year-old as well, is now seeing your nude 12-year-old body doing sexually explicit things. He's sharing these images with people at your school. Yes. Was that humiliating? How did you feel? It was, and there was mixed feelings about that. So I was trying to perform and provide for these people, him particularly, but then his extended group as well. I felt that I wanted to be seen as cool and that I was um, – you know, a team player, but there were feelings of humiliation, absolutely, and especially when it came to other women or other young girls in my peer group that I felt embarrassed about the things that were being shared, but mainly it was being shared to young boys and they weren't so... I, I don't, they were happy to receive those pictures, so it was, in a, it was a way of getting attention. Were you in... Um primary school or high school it was in New Zealand it's intermediate is that the in-between one the in-between one yeah okay got it oh it's just so icky 
isn't it? It's like this guy grooming not only you but these other children to be in on the abuse. Yes. And then making them think this behaviour of asking girls to do this is okay. It's just so many levels of fucked upness. So tell me, is this, he's putting these images on other websites. So, so child porn essentially. Yeah. And when you, this is pre-meeting or or after meeting? This is pre-meeting. So yeah, it was, it was these requests and things like that. We're moving toward the direction of meeting up. And my anticipation of that was driving me to keep going and producing. So you kind of knew, or maybe you didn't, that when you met up, he was going to expect some of the things that he had said or asked you to perform in your own photos. I couldn't say that I knew. I would say that I anticipated that he may want to do those things just as two young kids would anticipate um, kissing in a closet or something like that. Those were the similar feelings that I was having around that situation. I was nervous. I was scared. I knew that was part of growing up and I was looking to get to that. Although he was in a position where he was taking advantage of a child. So what he was doing was wrong in that situation, but my feelings and comprehension around that was limited for sure. Ooh, so what happens the first time you meet up? Well, I had to sneak out of my house because I could never explain to my parents that I was going to meet a 26-year-old man in his car, but I managed to do that. That wasn't a problem to get out of my home. And when we met up, he drove down the road. It was super close to my house and parked up the car and it moved pretty quickly into a similar pressuring and and it was pressuring to give him oral sex, which I did. And it was in two senses of the word rape in my mind because firstly I was 12 and I could not consent to what was going on and second, in all ways that he was receiving, I mean, he was pushing my head down and I wasn't able to move or decide that I didn't want to continue. I remember thinking that I didn't want to continue, but I couldn't get away. And when he finished, he finished into my mouth. And I still remember that horrible feeling and taste and situation of being unable to stop it but there's some part of him that then lures you back into the next time yes I was in that situation with things being bad at home that it wasn't too unfamiliar to me to have uncomfort and feelings around allowing people to do things to you that you didn't want, but still having a loving relationship with them. My mum was physically and emotionally abusive to me and I I just wasn't able to put boundaries in place or stand up for myself and say that something was wrong, even though I felt it. And I still didn't think that 
after leaving that situation that I wouldn't want to go back. You know, I, 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 that wouldn't even cross my mind that I'm not going to do that again. So then how long did this continue? It continued for a year until I was around 13. Did it get to the point of penetrative sex? Yes, we had sexual intercourse on the second time that we met. Wow. So he's not like, this isn't a slow move for him. It's all guns blazing. He is, it it feels very audacious, you know, to just the expectation and the, yeah, it's not even a slow burn. It just feels so aggressive. No, I wonder if he was just taking the opportunity for what it was at the time to try and get away with what he could. But once he realised that he could have an ongoing relationship with me, that I would be at his beck and call for sex whenever he wanted, then he certainly took advantage of that as well. What was that? Do you remember much about that initial time or were you dissociated I remember key things like the first time that we had sex. I remember the smell of the house and that there were people walking around upstairs and and the feeling of losing my virginity. I remember that. And then the ongoing relationship because there would be kind of new things like new partners being introduced to us while we were having sex and my friends were also... um, I hadn't mentioned, but a a very close friend of mine, she had this happening to her as well with one of his friends. So sometimes we would all meet up together and it would be the four of us and sometimes some of his friends would be there or maybe one or two more of mine and and that kind of behaviour, the sex and um, smoking weed and things like that would go on and, and that was what we did. I snuck out of my house and did that for up to a year. So the sexual acts are happening in his car at his house with family members in the house at the same time that you never see? Yes, I would see them coming in, but he would kind of escort me to a special room in his house that was just for him. And you could tell that he just had his things in there and nobody came to disturb him. Was it where he lived or you didn't know that? I knew it was where he lived. It all feels so secretive and so cryptic. Was it important for him to just keep it sexual and private or were you dating in a sense, going out for food and movies and, you know, whatever you do with a 12-year-old? Yeah, we would never do anything like that. I mean, it was purely just meet up and take me to a secluded location where we would have sex because he knew and he told me and I knew that what we were doing could not be found out by anybody, that it was illegal and that he would be in a lot of trouble if somebody found out. So he told you it was illegal and he would get in trouble if you told anybody? Yes. He told me that the age of consent that I can't, he couldn't be caught with me younger, um, younger than 16. And, and so he was very specific on explaining to me why it was not allowed. And I kept that secret. Was there any part of you because of that, that was triggered into maybe, you know, some of those feelings when I'm uncomfortable or I don't like what he's doing? 
is associated with things being illegal or were you just, was that too much to kind of comprehend? It was. And in some ways I pushed those feelings down. I had been used to doing that and feeling like something wasn't right, but I didn't know how to say anything or stand up for myself at that time. There were other feelings where I felt misunderstood by society and that if they knew that I was so mature, then they would never make what we were doing be wrong. Um, Although there was times where I felt like it was wrong what we were doing because I wouldn't be able to call him at certain times or I had to tiptoe around situations. So I knew that it was not right, but I pushed the feelings down. I just really adored him and I wanted unconditional love from him. I hadn't been getting it and I thought that if I was just sacrificed for him then I would get that in return. Did you feel loved by him? Yes I did if you'd asked me at that time yes I would say of course uh, he loves me he's the only one who loves me nobody else cares about me but now I can look back and say no he, he was taking what he wanted and he knew that whole time what he was doing. So he's um, essentially a pedophile. He's a pedophile. Yep. And you believe you love him. Yes. You're feeling loved by him. Yes. So you said before that it ended within a year. A year feels like a really long time. And then it feels also like a really short time when you're saying you're in love with somebody. Mm. What, Just before we get to what happened to end it, within that year, did your mum, parents sense anything was off? Did, were there other parts of your life that this was impacting? Yes, for sure. I mean, my relationship with my mum and dad was taking a turn. They were not aware of exactly what was going on, but they knew how often I was going out and they had a fair idea about what I was doing when I was going out. And so they tried desperately by taking things away from me. I mean, my room got stripped down to just bare mattress because they were trying to take things away to stop me from doing what I was doing. However, at that time, I just felt that I had nothing to lose because I had nothing to gain and I completely, I just didn't care what they would do in order to stop me. I would get around it and I would sneak out and I would go regardless. My schoolwork as well is something that really fell away at that time. I was a high performer in school and I just stopped caring and I never really got back into it. If sex is happening, penetrative sex is happening on the second meetup. Yes. How evolved or how far does he push the sexual acts with you? As far as they can go, it would be completely abnormal for 12-year-olds to be doing what I was doing, which was having an ongoing sexual relationship, but also having threesomes and foursomes and 
smoking and and you know the things that I was doing was so beyond what I should have been it was really pushed to the limit and it it lowered my boundaries for the rest of my teenage years because I felt that I'd already experienced a lot of things that were really new for some young kids when they were going and losing their virginity and exploring and things like that I felt I had already done those things in that time threesomes and foursomes with his mates that were also with children like who's coming in on these things his mates they they would come in on those things and they were pleased to do it it didn't seem in hindsight now I think that it mustn't have been new and it was something that everybody knew was going on including his family (gasps) as in the cousins or as in elders as in the people that he was living with in his home, I mean, the way that it ended um, was was actually I'd had enough and, and had enough with school and the friend who was also undergoing that abuse was with me and we ran away, we, we jumped on a bus and we just took the bus as far as we could go and eventually that evening the police picked us up and our parents were put, pulled into the police station and they, they looked through my phone and they found his number on my phone and I'd been quite clear to delete everything so that it couldn't be found but they still found his number and, and found out who it was and told me that um, he was known to the police for having relationships with young children and that he was married and he was in his 30s and he had children and... Yeah, he, I mean, he was an immigrant and he had a, an extended family living with him in his home life, um, in his home situation, and they must have all known. And it was really shocking for me to find out that he was a lot older than he said he was and that the people that he was in the house with were, one of them was his wife. Wow. Yeah. So you're saying extended family, like mother, father, auntie, uncle vibes? That vibe, yeah. And you had seen some of them? Who who had you seen? I couldn't say how they were known to him. Some of them didn't speak English. Um, but they would be living they were living in the house and it was a big family unit that was living there. So there were cousins, younger kids, there were older adults, um, there must have been his wife, and there was his children. Okay. So this room you used to go to. Yes. Was that his marital bedroom? No, it wasn't. It was it was like a shed. Uh it was like a an garage room and there was a bed in it but there was also you know his belongings and things like that so I do think that the people in the house must have known what he was doing with those young girls that he was bringing into that area that is so wild Mm. that is so wild so you hear this from the police do you believe them no (laughs) no Not at the time. I mean, I denied it and that, of course, they wanted to, for me to tell them what was going on and I wouldn't. And um, in fact, my dad, he told me, you know, if you do say what's going on, then 
you're in for a long haul at court and things like that, you know, you need to talk to me about what's happening before you talk to the police and I just wouldn't talk to my dad and so nothing ever came of that intervention from the police, which I do feel a lot of guilt about because I think that he could have gone on to offend again. Did the police, because they had proof, well, they had the number. They had a really resistant witness. <laughs> I mean, I was not easy to, to deal with in, in the police rooms. You know, I was really denying that anything was going on and I think that they knew that they would have had a real battle. Did the perpetrator get approached? Did, did he cut things off? He did cut things off. I don't know if he was approached, but when I told him what had happened, he was very spooked and he backed right off and he basically broke up with me. And at that time, it was devastating. I remember being so upset and calling him and calling him and calling him and he would not answer. And I never spoke to him again. Wow. That must have been so confusing for you, especially if you did feel love, whatever it was, for him and then for him to just dump you. It would have, that would have been so painful and so confusing. It was heartbreaking. And I, I hadn't told my parents what had really been going on. And so I really had nobody to talk to about this. And my friends, you know, I was falling out with people at school because I was just the damage and what was going on was it was coming out in my relationships and my friendships. And I was no longer able to be a normal kid. And yeah, I was really unsupported at that time. It really projected me into a horrible rest of my teens where a lot of awful things happened. This happened again, didn't it? Yes. Who who with and how and what age? Well, after after he dumped me, I went on to try to carry on at school and I was already smoking cannabis but my intake of of cannabis just increased I, I was smoking as much as I possibly could I was bunking school from 13 14 and by 15 I had left school completely um, I was acting out a lot sexually you know I had slept with a lot of guys and it was for the attention and they knew it, everybody knew it, but I mean these were guys that were my age, um, maybe a little bit older but nowhere near, um, they were under 16. Sure. And I got to 15 and, and left school, I just couldn't go anymore mainly because my drug addiction had really started to take over my whole entire life. Everything during the day was just about getting some food, getting some drugs and continuing until the next day, rinse and repeat, you know, that that was my existence. And I had several relationships, they didn't last long. I was really difficult to be with, any sort of emotional volatility. I would be yelling and screaming and um, outbursts because I was just so stunted. I, I do think that from that age I really 
didn't grow much at that time. And getting to 16 years old, uh, I had been just subtly introduced to meth. And um, it wasn't long after that that the next man came along. You know, he kind of just swooped down in that situation and um, gave me meth. And within a year of us, we got... we. In the early days, I didn't, I didn't want a relationship with him, but he kept grooming me for, it would have been at least three or four months that he was grooming me, and one day, without any sexual activity, and one day he turned around and said to me, if you don't do this, I'm going to leave and I'm never going to come back. And so I did it, and from that day on, we were in a relationship. Do what? have sex with him and perform for him after all of this grooming that he's done for the last three months. He basically said to me, how dare you do all of this and not provide for me and let's have sex right now or I'm leaving. And so I did it. But it was back to the same situation and a year down the track of me just being with him at all times, all day, every day, using meth a lot. Um, I We broke up after a year and I realised how addicted I was to meth because I hadn't been paying for it throughout our relationship. And then and then one, one day when he broke up with me, I realised that, oh, I am really in a bad situation. I'm fully addicted to meth and I need to come up with the money now. Because this is what I was going to ask even before him. Who was paying for the marijuana and the food all the time, you know? I had money coming through the government, you know, just the unemployment benefit. And um, it was actually called the Independent Youth Benefit back then. And it was enough for me to pay to live in a flat and to buy drugs through the week. I would steal food mostly and all my clothes. So I had no expenses. I, I was just living to use at that time. And then he was a dealer or he just bought the meth? He was a dealer. I thought so. And so he leaves and then how do you get your drugs? Well, the first time that he left and when I first realised how addicted I was, I I was able to rely on the generosity of friends that I had in my wider friendship network. So I, I basically took advantage of young boys that were my friends and some of them had some money. And so I would I would get them to support me for a certain certain amount of time and it wasn't long after we'd broken up that we got back together. I mean, this relationship went on until I was 22 years old. From 16 to 22? Yes. Addicted to meth the whole time? No, I I went to rehab when I was 18 and we did stay together. We weren't in an official relationship. However, I, I never stopped seeing him. I, I loved him more than anything and from 16 to 22. So it was another kind of example of a man forcing you to love him, forcing you to be sexual. That was the true drug for me, you know. All of the other things like the meth use and what I had to do for those drugs was a side thing. The love that I was getting from this man was my drug and that's I just loved him and he knew that 
and he took advantage of me, dumped me off when he needed to, and he he would cheat on me all the time. Okay, so super toxic now and we're in this really toxic place. Yes. You get out of this at 22. Yes. And what you're now 30. What happens between now and then? Well, while we were still seeing each other, I I went to rehab and it was it was on one occasion that we had broken up and it was I was actually dropped off at my parents' doorstep pregnant um, to his child and I had to get myself a termination and clean myself up and in those times that I was resting up I looked into being able to get off drugs rehabilitations. I had no comprehension of that. This is just, you know, how young I was at 16. I, I couldn't understand that, oh, you could go and get help, professional medical help for addiction, which I did at um, at 18. And so I went to an inpatient facility and got clean. And in that time, I really found uh, Narcotics Anonymous to be an extremely helpful place to, to for me to get well and to learn about myself and kind of come up from that age of 13 where I hadn't grown at all to 18 and be a true 18-year-old. And I had relapses over those 19 and 20-year-old years. And and by the time I was 22, I, I had finally decided that I was done with him. He had given me several incurable STIs and I just needed to to leave him and and I did and at 22 I um, got myself together and I relocated I left the town that I was in and moved up to a rural location where I live now with my partner I met my partner who was who's had a past of addiction and he's in recovery he's been in recovery for 15 years and um, we've been together now for eight years and it's just coming up eight in February and so yeah. Is he also older? He is, <laughs> he is and I definitely think that's something that's left its mark on me since this, I mean my my partner from 16 to 22, he was 18 years older than me my partner currently now, he's he's 23 years older than me. Uh, we have a different relationship where we learn from each other in our shared trauma, you know. We, we both went through really tough times with addiction but also with personal suffering and, and the way that we want to live our lives now is um, to have peace and serenity in our life and... It's a different relationship, but it is something that I've carried on with now. Being in in a relationship with an older man is something that I still want and I still get from that what I wanted at that time, but it isn't that toxic waste of a partnership that was just yeah so abusive. And so we've done a lot of healing together. What is it like for you now as an adult on your healing journey to look at the way that this has impacted your life? Yeah, 
feelings change over time and I've had professional, you know, therapy and help over what I've been through, but I've also been to therapists who I've talked about my situation and they've really struggled to understand the dynamic of having an older partner or or seeking that out or how I talk about what happened to me at that age as if it was a relationship when really it was, you know, a grooming pedophile situation. Some, I found that some professionals struggle to understand that dynamic um, but it's it's something that I really want to share with you and why I contacted you about this podcast is that it is normal for me and what I went through changed the way that I would live my life now I I don't want to have children and I just want to have a safe place at home I don't like to go on big overseas travels or trips or put myself into vulnerable situations I don't use any drugs and I look after myself now because I feel that I hadn't looked after myself and been so risky for other people in my past that I really want to change that now and it doesn't quite fit into the box of 12-step recovery or um, yeah, therapeutic counselling or anything like that, but it's my own way that I've learned how to live with what happened and, and feel safe and happy. What about your parents? How do you manage those dynamics now with, you know, mm. This, we're not blaming anybody, but this was definitely the perfect breeding ground for a pedophile multiple to come into the picture, you know? Yeah, I I know. <laughs> and I think that in some ways my parents are the only thing that I have from that time that know about that time and... I have to keep my relationship with my mother very strict and um, firm boundaries with her because she can bring things up for me sometimes, even just bring them up and say things from that time that are just quite uh, triggering, I guess, you know. Mm. I And she, she hasn't done much personal development of her own and I have to just respect that situation. However, she's not really changed as a person as she was when I was very young and as she is now. Um, there was a time where she got very sick with cancer and our relationship was a lot better because I had thought at that time that that was the end. However, she came through that and I'm really happy for her. But she has, you know, not changed as a person or I don't feel that there's been that growth, so I just have to keep our relationship firm because I, I still have an ongoing relationship with my family. I can't cut her out um, because I still want to have that connection with everybody else, my dad and my siblings. Um, but I did relocate from the town that they live in, and that's been amazing to have that distance between us. Uh, really, really good for my mental health. So what I'm hearing is there was no accountability from the family unit. My mum once apologised to me for how she was when I was younger because she was so stressed. And I think that's as good as it would ever get because 
I don't feel that I could discuss what really happened and she wouldn't really know what really happened. So maybe it could change. Do you need that? No, I I don't feel that I need it. I have a new relationship with my in-laws and uh, it's not something that I need closure on. It's an understanding that she is how she is and she had her own issues in her childhood as well. Like we all have our things. She can either choose to um, work on her stuff or she can leave it as it is. That's her call. And for me, I just, I'm not waiting for her to come around and, and finally understand. Have you ever heard anything further on the pedophile or the second partner? Well, I was thinking about this when I said I never heard from him again and I did message the pedophile on Facebook once. I It would have been a few years ago, but I just typed his name because it's extremely specific and he came up immediately and I messaged him and I must have said something like, ah, if I ever see you again or la, 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 la. And... He just blocked me straight away and I feel like, damn, you know, I almost could have just reported that and and several times I have gone to report what he's done but that's only because I feel that I wish I had at the time and not because I want to go through that now Um, and so I've never done that and in terms of the boyfriend from 16, I haven't heard from him, I don't want to hear from him. He, cr- he tried to contact me several times over the years after I relocated, but I have avoided any contact with him. And in hindsight, I know for him that he really never, ever loved me. And that was a, a, a real, um, it's a sore spot because I loved him so much that, and I gave him so much and he really betrayed me in, in so many ways that I still live with today. So I think that, yeah, I just don't want to hear anything and I just can't see him living for much longer anyway. Mm. What a story. And I know it is a common one, in fact, of young girls being with much older men and doing things that they are very uncomfortable doing to be able to keep those relationships going. Um, I think it is so important to share this, especially for parents to hear this, um, that may have small children or may have teenagers that want to be aware and protect them because, you know, more than ever the internet is a fucking wild place to be. Yes. There's no part of you that wants to report him. There is. Only to prevent further women being abused. I really wanted to connect with people through your platform and and this is the first kind of step for me. I haven't spoken to um, anyone outside of a professional setting about this um, much and I could, but it's not something that I think about at the moment. Who are you when no one's watching? I thought about this com- this question. I thought about it so much because I listen to so many of your podcasts, but I am a really happy person 
and I love what I do and fill my life with hobbies that challenge me and make me happy and show me that I can show up for myself and do what I want and I can be myself and be accepted. So I'm pretty happy. Mm. Thank you so much for being with us today. I am so appreciative of your time and of your honesty and of sharing this. So thank you so much. Thanks for letting me talk. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.